Hare Krishna. I offer my sincere obeisances to all my beloved God brothers, God sisters, and all assembled devotees. Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna who appeared with the complexion and the Mahabhava, the devotional ecstasies of love of Sri Radharani. And he appeared not only to taste the sweetness of Sri Radha's love, to understand what it was about himself that brought her such happiness, but he came in this age of Kali, the time of great quarrel, hypocrisy, so much confusion, suffering, anxiety, to give the highest benediction, to give the highest revelation of spiritual love to the people of this world. He came with his eternal associates of the spiritual world, his own expansions, the Panchatattva. Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami tells that through this Harinam Sankirtan, they came to plunder the storehouse of love of God, to taste its sweetness and then distribute its content. Rupa Goswami tells Namo Mahabharanyaya Krishna Prema Pradayate Krishnaya Krishna Chaitanya Namane Gaurat Vishay Namaha. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna, but he is extending more mercy than Krishna. We have just recited this prayer Hey Krishna. Karuna Sindhu, Dinabandhu Jagatpate. Krishna is an ocean of compassion, an ocean that has no shores, an ocean that has no bottom. It's a limitless ocean that's all pervading and yet ever expanding. Dinabandhu. He's not only the Lord of the universe, but he's the friend of the most fallen. So how could Krishna become more merciful than himself? By his achintya shakti, 
by his swarat, his supreme independence, he can do anything. The great mystery, the ultimate miracle of all miracles, is Krishna's inconceivable powers. He is supremely merciful, but as Lord Chaitanya, when he is in the mood of his beloved Sri Radha, he gives himself even more freely. When Krishna appeared in this world, in Mathura, Goku, Mahaban, Vrindavan, he revealed his Madhurya Ras, his sweetest pastimes of love. When he appeared as Lord Chaitanya with his associates, he did something even beyond that. Because Krishna's Leela is something very deep and confidential. Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he tasted the ecstasies of love with his associates and were eager to give the process by which anyone can achieve that love. Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami tells, they did not consider who was qualified or who was unqualified. They didn't consider who was pious or impious. They didn't consider which place was suitable and which place was unsuitable. Simply anyone who would be willing to accept their mercy. They were willing to give the highest treasure of the realization of Sri Sri Radha Govinda's love in Vrindavan. When Lord Chaitanya took initiation in Katwa, I'm sorry, in Gaya, from Ishwarapuri, he first exhibited his ecstatic love as a devotee. Srila Prabhupada tells that Lord Chaitanya played the role of a devotee to teach us how to be devotees. And Srila Prabhupada gave the example, just like a teacher teaches students how to make the alphabet by writing the letters one part at a time. The teacher already knows, but goes through the exercise just so that the students will learn. So Lord Chaitanya, through his associates and in his own example, taught us how to be devotees. When he first began his mission of the Sankirtan movement from Gaya, he immediately wanted to go to Vrindavan. He started running to Vrindavan 
in the middle of the night without telling anyone. And it was the devatas that reminded him, your mission is to expand the Sankirtan movement and give the love of Vrindavan to this world, to the fallen people. So go back to Navadweep and do your mission of compassion. So he came to Navadweep, which is not different than Vrindavan. And there he established the Sankirtan movement. Hearing the glories of Krishna, chanting the holy names, pastimes, qualities of Krishna, remembering Krishna, worshiping Krishna, and serving Krishna with one's wealth, with one's intelligence, with one's abilities, with one's body, mind, words, and life. Every devotee of Lord Chaitanya was in it, although they had such unique personalities, such unique manifestations of ecstatic love, They all had in common Gopi Bhartur Patakamalayora Dasa Dasa Das Anutas. They were all in the moods of the servant of the servant of the servant of the servant of Lord Sri Krishna. Everything they did was for each other. When Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was giving his supreme benedictions to each and every devotee during Mahaprakash Leela at Srivas Angam. Each devotee was given darshan of the form of the Lord that they worshipped and loved most. Kolavicha Sridhar, he saw Krishna and Balaram before him. Haridas Thakur, Krishna, Marari Gupta, Ram Chandra. But when Lord Chaitanya neglected Mukunda, all the devotees were crying. They could not be happy if Mukunda was not happy. Lord Chaitanya, they didn't ask for any benedictions for themselves. He was just giving and giving and giving. The only thing they were asking for is give to Mukunda. That was the relationships the devotees had for each other. They cared so much for each other. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu pointed out the mistake that Mukunda made. They were begging, please, just forgive him and Give him ecstatic love. Let him see you. What it actually means to be the servant of the servant of the servant, it's not just a ritualistic word that we use to sound humble. It means we really care. From the very core of our hearts, we really care. This was the mood of all Lord Chaitanya's devotees. 
Adwaitacharya. He spent years on the banks of the Ganges worshiping Krishna, crying tears of love with a loud voice begging Krishna, please come down to give prema, to give love of love for yourself to the people of this world. Advaitacharya, he could see past, present, and future. He could see the state of the condition of Navadweep Shantipur at that, in the world at that time, and he could see how things would unfold in the future. He knew who would be the politicians, what kind of effect they would be having on people. He knew about the droughts and the climate change and about all the wars and all the greed. He saw this all-pervading disease of selfishness and egoism, and he cared. He cared about every living being. When Adwaitacharya was praying for Krishna to come, he was praying for you and me, personally. We may find this hard to believe. But he's Mahavishnu. He's the supreme, he's the super soul of the cosmic manifestation of all the universes of creation. In Krishna consciousness, we understand everything in a very personal way. Because Krishna is a supreme person. And his person is supremely personal with every jivatma. Yes, Adwaitacharya cared about us. He cared about everyone. And it was because he cared so much that Lord Chaitanya descended into this world. But Lord Chaitanya, after spreading Krishna consciousness in an incredible way in Navadweep and all the area around, he saw that there were some people who, due to their conditionings, they were not in the net of his mercy. So to reach them, he decided to renounce the world. His beloved wife, his beloved mother, his beloved Navadweep, and become a sannyasi. At the end of one night, at the time of Makara Sankranti, he swam across the Ganges, he walked to Katwa, and there, he became Sri Krishna Chaitanya. 
He took such vows of renunciation from Keshav Bharati Maharaj. And what was the first thing Lord Chaitanya did after he became sannyasi? I will go to Vrindavan. Lord Chaitanya is teaching us how to be devotee. Such an eagerness to come to Vrindavan. He started running to Vrindavan. Keshav Bharati Maharaj said, I'm going with you. Everyone in Katva said, we're also going with you. After some time, Lord Chaitanya told everyone except his few associates to go back. He was so eager to come to this holiest of all holy places, Vrindavan. Cows like this story. <laughs> Goloka, Gokula. But it was Nityananda who was the manifestation, who was Balaram himself, the manifestation of the Lord's mercy, the original Guru. who somehow arranged for Lord Chaitanya to go to Shantipur and by the request of his mother to Puri. Sachi Devi said, please, the same Krishna that lives in Vrindavan is living as Jagannath in Puri. Go there, it's close by. I will hear about you. I can send you prasad. He went on his South Indian trip for two years. And after he returned, he told his devotees his deep desire to go to Vrindavan. And for several years, they somehow other avoided letting him go. He would not go without the permission and blessings of his devotees. This is important. One time, he, he went on, he finally got the permission to go from everyone, and he started coming. And during the trip, he told Gadadhar Pandit, you must go back, because you have taken a vow, Kshetra Sanyas, to worship your Tota Gopinath. Lord Chaitanya left without him and Gadadhar fainted. After walking, and it's a wonderful story, after walking through the towns and the villages, and everyone was coming and following Mahaprabhu to Vrindavan. Soon there were hundreds and thousands, millions of people following him. And it was in Ramakali, and then Kanai Natashala, Rupa Goswami, Sanatan Goswami prayed, please, going to Vrindavan with so many people is not so good. 
Perhaps you have that experience. <laughs> he had millions of people. So then he came back to Puri. And very instructive. He said, because I hurt the heart of Gadadhar Pandit, Krishna would not allow me to go to Vrindavan. Only if Gadadhar Pandit gives me his blessings, heartfelt, will Krishna allow me to go. Gadadhar Pandit said, I give you my heartfelt fullest blessings, but first come to my house and take prasad. And it was then that Mahaprabhu came to Vrindavan. And Kaviraj Goswami tells the ecstasies of his love and the ecstasies of the love of all the inhabitants of Vrindavan to see him. The deers, the cows, the peacocks, the parrots, the trees, everyone recognized Krishna has returned. He roamed through the 12 forests. He never wanted to leave. But after two months, he saw that his assistant, Balabhadra Bhattacharya, was having great anxiety trying to um, manage all the people who wanted appointments with him and all the people who were inviting him and all the people who wanted to meet him and all the people who wanted to see him. And Lord Chaitanya wanted to be very secluded. He would go to Imlital and chant Japa all alone and chant and meditate on Krishna on the banks of the Yamuna. So when he saw the anguish of his devotee, he said, then we will go. And when Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu returned to Puri, he was seeing everywhere as Vrindavan. He saw a sand dune as Govardhan. He saw the sea as the river Yamuna. He saw the trees in the Jagannath Vallabha Gardens as, as the Kalpa Brikshas of Vrindavan. During Ratha In the ecstatic mood of Sri Radha's love, he was bringing Krishna in the form of Jagannath with his brother Balaram and sister Subhadra back to Vrindavan. And his most intimate loving associates the six Goswamis, Rupa Goswami, Sanatan Goswami, Raghunath Bhatt Goswami, Raghunath Das Goswami, Gopal Bhatt Goswami, Srila Jiva Goswami. He sent them to establish Vrindavan as a holy place. He gave them instructions at Prayag, at Varanasi, in various places, and told him to expand those instructions by taking the essence of all Vedic knowledge 
to teach the world the supreme love of God that is eternally manifesting from Vrindavan. He told them to establish temples and to establish the ways of a Vaishnava by their examples. How incredible. Rupa Goswami, Sanatan Goswami, Raghunath Das Goswami. They were fantastically wealthy, handsome, healthy, young, learned, famous. They had everything. But they left it all behind. to live under trees, to beg from the Brijabhasis. to reside in Vrindavan. So simple. And this great legacy was established by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and the six Goswamis. And it has been preserved through a great parampara of acharyas. Thakur Narottam, he was a prince who was going to be the king. He escaped and came to Vrindavan. He wrote so many beautiful poems. Later on, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, Baladevid, Yabhushan. They came here to Krishna Das Kaviraj, such literatures for the world. In 1922, Abhay Charanaravinda, at that time Abhay Charande, he first met his spiritual master, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur Prabhupada. And at the first instant of that meeting, he was given the instruction to take the message of Lord Chaitanya to the whole world in the English language. And Srila Prabhupada took that order as his life and soul. It was like a seed that was being watered constantly through his meditation, through his prayer. His whole life was preparing to fulfill that order. And when he retired from his family responsibilities, he came to Brindaban.
Srila Prabhupada called Vrindavan his eternal home. For some time he lived at Bamsi Gopal Temple and then Sridhadha Damodar Temple. It was very simple in those days, in the 1950s and 60s. He chose to live where the Samadhi and Bhajan Kutir of Rupa Goswami, Jiva Goswami, the meeting place of all the Goswamis. And it was here in Vrindavan that he began his translation of Srimad Bhagavatam. Because Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu He's the very personification of Srimad Bhagavatam. He declared it to be the most important of all scriptures because it's the very essence of all Vedic knowledge and its culmination is the love of the inhabitants of Vrindavan for Krishna. After completing the first canto, I'm a little typewriter. His Holiness Satsurup Goswami Maharaj tells us in great detail the struggles that Srila Prabhupada endured to give us Krishna consciousness. No help, no support. He had to take loans to get the paper, publishing. He didn't get loans from banks. He just got people to trust in him. And after completing that first canto, from Vrindavan, he crossed oceans and continents to give Vrindavan to the whole world. And I remember in 1971, November, happened to be here, and Srila Prabhupada came, and Vrindavan was a very, very quiet place at that time. This will be hard for you to believe, but there were no cars. There was no traffic. There were these tongas, little carriers with a horse some rickshaws and another road that road not the road that we come on but another road Matara road there was um, a bus stand and just once or twice a day a bus would come 
And the farthest you could go is Mathura. And there was a little railway station. And the farthest you could go was Mathura. That was it. Very simple. And when Prabhupada came with about 30 or 40 devotees, the whole town was so excited because it was the first time in history a group of Western people came to Brindavan. There were two or three Western people when I was here, and nobody knew what I was because I kind of strange. <laughs> but when Prabhupada came and there were 30, 40 Western people from America and from Africa and from Europe and from India. There was a great celebration. There was a wonderful welcoming. He's the hero of Vrindavan. He has taken the culture of Vrindavan and not only did he bring Vrindavan to the world, but he's bringing the world to Vrindavan. Srila Prabhupada was smiling. He was just so happy to see people coming to Brindavan. He was showing devotees to different holy places. He was leading the Parikrama, telling stories, explaining the teachings, showing the specific places. Malati Devi was there at that time. I think she was probably cooking for Prabhupada. It was historical. And I remember some of the simple Brijabhasis and the Goswamis and the Sadhus and the Babajis who I knew, they were just, what is this? How is this? Who are these people? I said, I don't know either. <laughs> but one thing that we could all understand, the magnitude of the compassion that was in Srila Prabhupada's heart, how much faith he had that Krishna was the supreme personality of Godhead that Krishna was non-different than his name, that Srimati Radharani was the supreme, ultimate pleasure, potency, and manifestation of the absolute compassion to all living beings. It is said that Krishna never takes a step out of Vrindavan. Srila Prabhupada, he was traveling all over the world and he was installing deities of Radha Krishna. That means he was manifesting Vrindavan in all these places. The essence of all the scriptures, of all the religions is love of God. 
Srila Prabhupada was establishing the opportunity on behalf of Lord Chaitanya and our Guru Parampara, the love of God in the most intimate, sweetest, fullest experience of Sri Radha Gopinath, the Lord of Vrindavan. In this way, Srila Prabhupada, he built Krishna Balaram temple to give a comfortable place for people from all over the world to come to Vrindavan. But he was simultaneously establishing Vrindavan in all parts of the world. He was so eager. Quite incredible. He wanted nothing for himself. But experiencing Vrindavan, he wanted to share it with everyone. How to love people you never met, you never knew. How to risk your life for everyone. That was Srila Prabhupada. He was so eager to go to Russia. During the communist regime, there was this iron curtain that made things very difficult. Why did he want to go there? But somehow, when he got the opportunity to go, he came. And he was under so much surveillance and such strict rules, he really couldn't do much of anything, but he met one person and preached to him. And it was Malati Devi that put a Bhagavad Gita in Shamsundar Prabhu's suitcase without even telling him. And that Bhagavad Gita spread Krishna consciousness throughout Russia. Srila Prabhupada preached to one person. That's all. And he didn't have a temple, he didn't have an ashram, he was just like a prisoner in a little room in a hotel. He gave him that Bhagavad Gita. And people were hand copying the Bhagavad Gita by the hundreds, by the thousands. And then when he came back to London, Pujari for the deities, Mandakini Devi, was called to Prabhupada's room. He said, there's one devotee this one devotee, he was only a devotee for three days. <laughs> Never saw a book, except he just got it. Understand, what is Prabhupada's enthusiasm? That this person's a devotee for three days. 
He has no association. He wants to get married to another devotee. Would you go to Russia and get married and spread this movement? And Mandakini Devi said, yes. Yes was difficult, but then she did it. <laughs> and here we have with us tonight Malati Devi, Mandakini Devi, two of the great legends of our movement. <laughs> and we also have tonight several hundred devotees from Russia and the former Soviet Union. Srila <laughs> Prabhupada's compassion made him so eager, so fearless, so tireless to give Krishna to everyone. How he struggled in New York when he first came. He so much wanted a little temple. He was writing to people in India, God brothers, come and help me, but they couldn't help. He was writing for some funds, they couldn't help. Send some people, send something, someone, no one could help. He found a nice building, he wrote to an industrialist, Mr. Singhania, please help. And he said, yes, I'll help, but I need permission from the government to transfer funds, but they couldn't get the permission. Whatever little he had, Srila Prabhupada, at one time it was stolen. But he continued. And now we see So many devotees throughout the world. There's problems, there's struggles, there's setbacks. That happens in this world. But Srila Prabhupada taught us to never be discouraged. Because we're depending on Krishna's mercy. The mood of the residents of Vrindavan is whatever situation comes, how could I please Krishna? That's the simple formula to be transcendental. Samsidhira Haditoshanam. How could I please Krishna? Yes, Prasada Bhagavad Prasada. In this world, how to please our gurus in pleasing Krishna. So let us begin this yatra 
in a spirit of gratitude. Gratitude to Srila Prabhupada. Gratitude to all those devotees who sacrificed, risked their lives in those early days to assist Srila Prabhupada. Gratitude to all the devotees today who in whatever big or small ways are trying to accept Prabhupada's mercy and live with that mercy and share that mercy with each other and with the world. Because gratitude is like a fertilizer that makes the heart soft. Gratitude and humility soften the heart and make the heart a fertile field for the seed of bhakti to grow. Srila Prabhupada, through his books, through his personal preaching and through his associates, spread these seeds of bhakti by the millions. There's nothing more precious in all of existence than that seed of bhakti. We need the association of devotees to remind us because the tendency is to minimize the value of that bhakti lata bija due to being distracted, endlessly distracted by wealth, popularity, sense gratification of so many different forms, so many fears, fear of being rejected, fear of being betrayed, fear of losing what we have, fear of poverty, fear of disease, fear of death. There's no shortage of reasons to fear in this world. There's no shortage of temptations to try to be an enjoyer. But in the association of devotees, we understand how precious this seed of bhakti is that has awakened by the mercy of the Vaishnavas within my heart. And to be grateful. And gratitude is not just something spoken. Gratitude is a way of life. It is to put the will of those who we are grateful for above our own will. Gratitude is the willingness to make sacrifice 
and to find joy in that sacrifice. And when we have that spirit, then the spirit, then the seed of bhakti, when it's watered through chanting the holy names, hearing the glories of the Lord, engaging in the loving service of the Lord, it grows. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu explained to Rupa Goswami how it grows and how it ultimately bears the fruit of prema. So when coming on a pilgrimage, we should focus and meditate on this principle of gratitude. For us, it's gratitude to Srila Prabhupada who is caring, who is caring Krishna and the whole Parampara's mercy for us. And gratitude to each other. Because that's what will please Srila Prabhupada. When we come to a holy place, Vrindavan, every moment is sacred. To the degree we're grateful and see every moment as sacred, to that degree we will actually benefit. Why have we come? If we come for a vacation, there'll be some spiritual benefit. If we come as sincere seekers of the essence of life, then we make great spiritual progress. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu he taught us prema pumarto mahan. That the highest goal of life, the greatest treasure in all life, is to love Krishna. Nitya siddha Krishna prema sajjaka punai sravanadi sudhichiti kodiyayodai. Love for Krishna is dormant within the heart of all living beings. By associating with devotees, by chanting Krishna's names, by engaging in devotional service, that love is awakened. We come to Vrindavan to beg for that love. Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur would say, do not try to seek Krishna, but serve Krishna in such a way that he is pleased to see you. And Vrindavan is not different from Krishna. Vrindavan is Krishna. Sri Radharani is Vrindavan Ishwari. Vrindavan is an expansion of her love. So we come to Vrindavan 
to serve. The impediments in the path of bhakti, Bhakti Vinod Thakur explains, are opportunities to grow. So there are so many impediments. In a yatra like this, I don't know how many people there are, but I can't see all of you. Hare Krishna. But to get here, there's so many little lanes. And as you're going on your parikramas, sometimes you have to go on buses and you have to have go so far walking to get to a bus. And then there's so much traffic. And there's, you're looking for the kunjas and the groves of Brajbhumi. And sometimes there's just buildings and there's so much. But when we understand that nothing, nothing that any human beings ever can do to disturb Krishna's eternal abode. It's only the surface covering of this world that's being affected. That is why Srila Prabhupada taught us we have to see through our ears. When we hear, what is Vrindavan? What is Bhakti? Who is Krishna? Who is Sri Radha? What is Lila? When we hear these things, Shraddha, faith awakens in our heart. And we see on the basis of that faith. And all of our acharyas have taught the principle which is foundational to the whole Srimad Bhagavatam is the importance of having eagerness. Eagerness to hear, eagerness to chant, eagerness to serve. Oftentimes, Srila Prabhupada would discuss the importance of enthusiasm. And I, I was once present when somebody asked Prabhupada, what if I don't have enthusiasm? Srila Prabhupada didn't see that as a problem at all. He said, if you, don't have, if you don't feel enthusiastic, you act enthusiastic. Because we should be enthusiastic to please Krishna. We shouldn't just be enthusiastic to how we feel. And if Krishna's pleased, then he could bless us with actual enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is so much of the basis of devotion. 
So when we're enthusiastic to hear, when we're enthusiastic to serve, when we're enthusiastic to share Krishna with others, to receive Krishna, then Krishna reveals himself to us. But tapasya is important. We have our four regulative principles. But beyond that, Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu explained there's so many things that are extremely unfavorable for devotional service. One thing is prajalpa, gossip, and fault-finding. We have to be very careful even if something's wrong, unless we're really sure we're, we're, very, we're trying to do something very constructive and we're inquiring from senior Vaishnavas, is this actually constructive? And we shouldn't be finding faults with others. If we actually start developing a taste for hearing about Krishna, we lose our... Rupa Goswami tells, we lose all tendency to gossip or fall find, fall, find faults with others. So on this yatra, let us put others in front of ourselves. No time for the politics and news of this world. While I'm here, let me absorb myself completely in every situation, whether I'm in a traffic jam, whether dust is going in my eyes, whether people are standing in line and, and getting in front of me, whatever the situation may be, whether it's hot or whether it's cold. I didn't come here to complain about these things. These things are actually great incentives to go beyond the bodily concept. and eagerly come to hear and eagerly take shelter of Krishna through serving his devotees and calling out his holy names. To the extent we have this spirit, we are in Vrindavan. Interestingly, Srila Prabhupada tells us in Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Leela, Gadadhar Pandit never came to Vrindavan. Ramananda Rai, Swarup Damodar Goswami, so many of the associates never came here physically but they were always in Vrindavan because they were absorbed in the spirit of Vrindavan. Srila Prabhupada explains that coming to Vrindavan is not possible just by getting a plane ticket or a train ticket. It's a state of mind. When Akrura came to Vrindavan, 
and the outskirts when he saw in the dust of Brajbhumi the lotus footprints of Krishna and Balaram. He cried tears of love with such eagerness to serve Krishna and Balaram and Vrindavan. So it's this eagerness to serve, this eagerness to hear and to chant that actually opens our hearts to experience Vrindavan. And that is why we have all come with grateful hearts. We're coming to enthusiastically serve. I would like to speak a few things about Brindavan. Anandamayo Bhyashat. Everyone, whatever species of life we may temporarily be passing through, we're looking for pleasure. Why? Because the nature of the soul is to feel the pleasure of Krishna's love. Abrama bhuvana loka punar avatanorjana mamu peitetakontiya punar janmana vidyate. Krishna tells us in Bhagavad Gita, from the highest planet to the lowest, every place in this material existence, it's a place of misery. Dukalayama shashvatam because everything's temporary. When the soul, the eternal soul, is trying to find its love for Krishna and Krishna's love for us in these ever-changing things, that is the source of all suffering. Prahlad Maharaj speaks in the seventh canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. Simple formula, how to be happy. Prahlad Maharaj says, if you want to be happy, you simply stop trying to be happy. But it's impossible to stop trying to be happy because our nature is happy. And we've lost that nature. We're out of touch with that nature. We're looking for pleasure. When we were little ants crawling around, we were looking for pleasure. When we were snakes, when we were birds, when we were animals. And here we are, still looking for pleasure. And suffering, old age, disease, death, so many frustrations, disappointments. In Bhagavad Gita, we learn how to give up our faith that happiness is in this world. 
then we understand that happiness is in the awakening of our eternal soul. Krishna tells in Bhagavad Gita, the process of karma yoga, jnana yoga, the astanga yoga system. He explains all of these different processes, which in so many ways are actually the basis of all the religions and spiritual processes all over the world. But he's speaking of it in a very concise and pure form. Because we're all looking for happiness through karma kanda, through jnana kanda, through yoga kanda. And then Krishna tells, Bahunam janmanam ante jnanavam ampapadyate vasudeva sarvamiti samahatma sudurlava. After many, many births of doing all these things, of cultivating so much knowledge, of doing austerities, of offering charity, of doing all sorts of purifications through the yoga process, when one finally comes to the point of true knowledge, Vasudeva Saravamiti, one surrenders to Krishna, Vasudeva, knowing Krishna to be the cause of all causes and all that is. Daivi heshuguna mai mama maya duratyaya mame vamye prapagyante maya meta tarantite. This material nature is very difficult to overcome. These three modes of nature is all powerful. Mayadyakshena prakriti suyate sacharacharam. This maya, this material energy, is Krishna's external energy. But Krishna says, but one who takes shelter of me can easily cross beyond it. This is the essence of Bhagavad Gita. Bhakti, taking shelter of Krishna. Sarva dharman mam ekam sharadam aham tvam sarva papi Abandon all varieties of dharma, religion, and just surrender to me. Surrender is the most beautiful concept in all of existence. Surrender is Krishna. I'm yours. Krishna, you're my only shelter. Krishna, to please you is my truest goal in life. Always think of me, become my devotee, worship me, offer your homage unto me. In this way, Krishna says, you will come to me without fail. Krishna's bringing us closer to how we approach Vrindavan. In the first nine cantos of Srimad Bhagavatam, we read 
about so many various incarnations of Krishna, so much of the deep philosophy beyond even Bhagavad Gita, just to prepare us to hear the glories of Vrindavan. Vadanti tat tattva vidas tattvam yajganamadvayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti The absolute truth eternally has three features. The all-pervading Brahman, the localized Paramatma, the Lord seated in every heart, and Bhagavan, the supreme, all-beautiful personality of Godhead. The all-pervading Brahman is the Lord's set feature. And liberation, mukti, is entering into that Brahman and to be free of all the sufferings and miseries of this material existence. But higher than that is Paramatma, understanding that the Lord is personally seated within the heart of myself and all living beings. And the source of both Paramatma and Brahman is Bhagavan, the personality of Godhead. Bhakti. Bhakti amama bijanati yavan yashtasmitatvata. Bhakti is the process by which we could reunite with the love of God, with the Supreme Person. And the first nine cantos of Srimad Bhagavatam is very much describing various incarnations of that one supreme person. And we read, we hear about the love of the devotees for the Lord, the love of Dhruva for Prishnigarbha, the love of Pralad for Narasinga, the love of the Prachetas for Vishnu. We learn about how the Lord, as a person, is creating, maintaining, and annihilating everything that exists. And when we understand Krishna in this way, the Krishna tattva, then we can actually begin to have some understanding of Vrindavan. Otherwise, we could take it to be something ordinary. Aham sarvasya prabhavo matta sarvam pravartate iti matva bhajante mam buddha bhava samanvita. Krishna tells, I'm the source of all spiritual and all material worlds. Everything emanates from me. The wise who know this perfectly engage in my loving service and worship me with all their hearts. Sarva yoni shakuntiya murataya samavantiya tasam brahma mahajoni raham bija pratapita That all living beings are born from 
from his nature. He's the seed-giving father of and mother of everyone. We read in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna reveals his virat rupa, his universal form. We read in Srimad Bhagavatam, he appears as Varaha Dev and lifts the earth. He appears as Kurama Dev and Matsyavatar. He appears as Parasaram. He appears as Narasinga Dev. And in the ninth canto, he appears as Lord Sri Ramchandra. And then Sukadev Goswami, he speaks Vrindavan Leela. The supreme almighty cause of all causes comes in the most ordinary way as Krishna. A little boy who's playing in Vrindavan. And so rare. Once in a day of Brahma. A day of Brahma is over eight billion years. And once in a day of Brahma. At the end of a Dwapra Yuga, in the 27th Divya Yuga cycle, the seventh Manu, Krishna appears in his original supreme personality of Godhead form as the Lord of Vrindavan and reveals the sweetness of the pastimes of Vrindavan. So rare. When we hear the stories of Krishna, when he's a little baby learning how to crawl, learning how to walk, crying for the milk of his mother, so much crying in fear when there's thunder or lightning, playing so many games with his little friends a little later, Killing demons and dancing and having his beautiful pastimes with gopis. How do we understand this is the absolute truth? We shouldn't be so proud to think that we understand. Because Shukadeva Goswami reminds us even Brahma couldn't understand. We will perhaps discuss this Leela on another day. But Krishna liberated Agasura. And the demigods were so pleased. And the way he did it was so inconceivable. Because all the little gopas went into Agasura's mouth and went right into his, he was a gigantic snake. They went right into his stomach. 
And Krishna was watching. In fact, he tried to stop them, but they just went anyway. They were so enthusiastic to play. You see, what happened is they were playing so many games. Sukadeva Goswami tells all the different games they were playing. But then when they finished a game, they were wondering, what's the next game we should play? And then they happened to see Agasura, this giant serpent with his mouth open. They think, this is a good game, let's go. So they just smiled and clapped and danced right in. And when they were all inside, Krishna, how to kill this, how to, how to liberate this demon when all my friends are inside his body? That's pretty complicated. All the calves and all the gopas, they're all inside of him. So what could Krishna do? So he thought about it for a second. And his thinking about it is his ecstatic love for his devotees. And then we'll discuss what happened. But after he liberated Agasura in such a way and gave him liberation in the spiritual world, the demigods were so relieved and so astonished they were coming to see. And even Brahma came down to see. And he happened to see Krishna sitting on the bank of Yamuna with his friends. And they were all taking prasad. It was so sweet. They were joking together. Krishna was treating all his friends like equals. They didn't look like great saintly rishis. They were just little boys, coward boys, covered with the dust of calves on their bodies. They were smiling and they were joking and they were making so many different plates out of leaves and rocks and flowers and eating and showing each other their preparations and Krishna was taking preparations. He was taking the remnants of his own devotees. Little cowherd boy would bite into something and say, Krishna, this is very good, try it. And Krishna would take it and try it and say, this is very good. And Brahma saying this, this is the absolute truth. This is the father of all fathers. This is Narayan. This is Mahavishnu. He was bewildered. Because Krishna was just appearing so ordinary. At the beginning of creation, all the Vedas were first revealed by Vishnu to Brahma. Such a greatness. But Krishna, just a little boy, playing like this. So we can all say, yes, I understand Krishna. But do we really understand Krishna? Brahma was thinking, how is this possible? My God is not like this. So he wanted to test him. And Krishna, after Brahma 
took away all the calves and then took away all the gopas. Krishna manifested all of them for one year, perfectly. And when Brahma came down and he saw everything just totally normal, he was really bewildered. And ultimately, Krishna manifested every calf and every cow and every cowherd boy as Lord Narayan with four arms. And then he was really bewildered. And then everything disappeared. And Krishna was just standing there with some yogurt and fruit salad and rice in his hands. Sanatana Goswami said that Krishna, one year before, he, he took that fruit salad and yogurt from the plate of one of his devotees. And he was still holding it. It was still fresh. And Krishna was just looking around, where is my gopas, where is my calves? And at that point, Brahma just completely blacked out and fell unconscious. And then he came to consciousness, and he became so humbled. And it was at that point that he actually saw Vrindavan. He was seeing Vrindavan as a beautiful place, but a relatively ordinary place. But after he totally humbled himself of his false ego and took shelter, then he could see that every tree was a kalpabriksha tree, every calf and cow was a kamadenu, and that every, every particle of dust was more precious than the jewels of Vaikuntha. He saw all walking as dancing, all speaking as singing. He could appreciate the eternal abode beyond Vaikuntha, beyond all the heavenly worlds, is the simple village of Vrindavan. So similarly, if we want to actually experience Brindaban, we have to follow in the footsteps of Brahma. And when Brahma prayed to Krishna, so many beautiful prayers, and Krishna didn't even say anything to Brahma. Krishna's just standing there with his little yogurt, rice, fruit in his hand, looking around. And here's the great Brahma, who's many times larger than little boy Krishna. Hey, Krishna's apparently ignoring him. And Brahma is praying that the greatness of your Vrindavan, my prayer is, let me just be the, the dust anywhere in Vrindavan so I can get the dust of the feet of your devotees on my head. 
Let me be anything, any, any species of life anywhere in Vrindavan. Let me just be there to live in the dust of the feet of you and all of your devotees. That was Brahma's conclusion. Brahma lives 311 trillion years. Nobody ever conquers his abode. You know, you can be a president or something and you get voted in and you get voted out and you, sometimes people like you, some people don't like you. But the demigods always like Brahma. He is an undisputed supreme position in the universe for his whole life. But yet he's praying. Let me be any type of tree or shrub or anything in Vrindavan to get the dust of the feet of your devotees, my Lord. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur tells us that after this wonderful pastime, Brahma, he understood how false pride is such an impediment to actually understand Krishna. To love Krishna. That he was doing penances, crying. And ultimately he was given a benediction by Lord Chaitanya. Krishna. Krishna appeared to him. And Brahma prayed. Let me be in a most humble position where I could always remember you and chant your holy names. I don't like this big position of Brahma. And by Sri Mahaprabhu's mercy, he became Haridas Thakur. And Haridas Thakur was everywhere he went, he was being insulted, he was being criticized, he was being threatened. People tried to kill him. Tried to, they tortured him. And he was very happy. Now for most of us, if you read the story of Haridas Thakur, getting beaten in 22 marketplaces, so many people criticizing him and trying to destroy him wherever he went, you would think, Krishna, let me go back to Brahma Loka. Never. Haridas Thakur never wanted to go back to Brahmaloka. He was so absorbed in being Haridas Thakur, he just completely forgot about his Brahma identity. He was tasting the sweetness always of Krishna's names. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Krishna. Trinadapi sunichena taror iba sehishnuna Amani namana de nakiritaniya sadahadi. This humility, tolerance, forgiveness, eagerness to offer respect to others and not to demand it oneself. Haridas Tagore was the personification of those virtues 
of those devotional qualities, and therefore he could constantly taste the sweetness of Krishna's holy names. Lord Brahma, he was bewildered seeing how ordinary Krishna was. But as Haridas Thakur, he was never bewildered because he was always taking shelter of Krishna in Krishna's names. And then we have Indra, such a great demigod. In Indra Loka, we read in the Puranas and in the Srimad Bhagavatam how when he does yajna for Vishnu, Vishnu comes. Of course, he comes to us too, but we don't see him with our eyes usually. But Vishnu, when he, I mean, Indra, when he completes a yajna, Vishnu actually descends on Garuda and gives blessings, and everybody could see him and feel him and hear him. This is Indra. He's the king of the devas in the Swarga region. Just as Brahma's the head of the devatas throughout the, he's the head of the universe, Indra's the head of the heavens. But when it was time for the Indra puja, little Krishna, seven-year-old boy, very talkative, he said to Nanda Maharaj, don't, don't do this Indra puja. We are cowherd village. We are depending on the cows, the Brahmins, and Govardhan Hill because Govardhan Hill is giving so much fresh green grass and so, many, so much pure water to our cows. Let's give all of Indra's offerings to Govardhan. Indra was bewildered. Krishna was just too ordinary. He's accustomed to Vishnu. There's no mistaking Vishnu when he comes before you. But you can mistake Krishna <laughs> unless you have devotion. So Indra was so confused, he sent the whole torrents of rain to punish Krishna. And ultimately, he was like Brahma, but even in a different way, he was totally humbled. And he understood that this little Krishna, this little cowherd boy who's just playing and joking and dancing, he's the, he's the source of Vishnu. He's the source of everything that exists. He's the source of all incarnations. He's the source, the, the, the all-pervading impersonal Brahman is the halo that's emanating from his body. And Indra surrendered. And he did beautiful Abhishek for Krishna and gave Krishna the name Govinda. Krishna's name is always Govinda. It's eternally his name in the spiritual world. But still, Krishna reciprocates so nicely 
Oh, thank you for giving me the name Govinda. <laughs> so Krishna Vrindavan, taking such an ordinary experience of, of a cowherd boy is can only truly be understood by Krishna's mercy. Srila Prabhupada, he was very careful that we don't take the Ras Lila, the Leelas of Krishna and his gopis, ordinary. It's the highest expression of the purest Love. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he taught that the ultimate meditation of those in the renounced order of life, those who renounce all possessions, those who renounce all the pleasures of the opposite sex, those who renounce all the pleasures of this world, their meditation is to take shelter of the love of the gopis. Sukadev Goswami. No one could be more renounced than him. But he proclaimed to the whole world forever that there is nothing in comparison anywhere to the purity of the love of the gopis for Krishna and Krishna for the gopis. But the tendency is to see it as something ordinary. And Krishna killing demons. Sometimes devotees, why is Krishna killing so many demons? In Vrindavan, every day there were demons coming. But we should not take Krishna's killing demons to be something ordinary. Yes, he revealed this incredible opulence of power, but he did it with such sweetness. Krishna tells in Gita Suhradam Sarabhutano, he's the most intimate, best, well-wishing friend of every living being. Samoham Sarvabhuteshu. He doesn't envy anyone. Ahambija Pratapita. He's the father, the mother of all beings. Krishna never... He never reduces his love for anyone. But he does what's always best. So when these demons were coming to Vrindavan, Krishna, out of his love, he played with them, and then he liberated them. And for many of them, he sent back to Goloka Vrindavan or Vaikuntha or some to the Brahma Jyoti. And so interesting how Krishna does it in Vrindavan. Nowhere else in any scripture do we find this. Varahadev, 
had a great battle with Hiranyaksha. Another Singadev had a great battle with Hiranyakashipu. And with his nails, with his tusks, he defeated them. And Ramchandra, with his bows and arrows, he fighted with Kumbhakarna and Ravana and so many other asuras. Interestingly, in so many places, Vishnu, when he comes to, he fights with the demons and with his Sudarshan chakra, he cuts off their heads. And even Krishna and Dwarka, he uses clubs, he uses Sudarshans, he fights, he has armies. All these different avatars of the Lord, there's fighting, there's battles, there's weapons, except Krishna. Krishna never exerts himself. He plays. Demons with all the powers of all these previous incarnations we have spoken and so many more. Putana, how powerful she was. Krishna was an infant baby. He didn't have to even grow. He just, like a little child, sucked her breast. And with the little tiny fingers, he went to Janavarta, Sakatasura, Bakasura, Vatsasura. All these, Krishna never used a weapon. It was effortless. It was play. And even if Krishna was a little angry, it was all play. He never expanded his form. He was always just a little boy, as ordinary as anything. The Aishwarya, the opulence of Krishna's incredible strength when he was killing demons, never eclipsed his madhurya, his sweetness. This is Vrindavan. And even when Krishna was in the coils of Kaliya, he just kind of seemed to be sleeping in those coils for so many hours. And then when he slipped out, Kaliya, we see one little snake <laughs> with a triangular head and we, we become, we panic. Kaliya was gigantic. He had a thousand and one hoods. 101 main hoods and mouths and sharp teeth and red, hot, burning, angry eyes. And there was so much poison in him. Just the fumes of his breath totally poisoned the lake he was living in near the Yamuna that even if a bird flew by, it would die. Kali was so cruel. He leaped at Krishna to bite him on the chest. And Krishna just danced on his hoods. He danced and he danced and he danced. 
Srila Sanatana Goswami describes in Brihad Bhagavatamrita that another time Krishna called Kaliya to come. Krishna already danced on his hoods and delivered him, but this time he invited the gopis to come and dance with him on the hoods of Kaliya. <laughs> so Krishna was, he pulled up the gopis and they were having rasa lila on Kaliya's hoods as he was trying to bite them and kill them. This is Krishna. When Ram was fighting Ravana, when their Dev was fighting Hiranyakashipu, he wasn't dancing with gopis. Vrindavan is a place of such sweetness, such play. But this is this Parabrahman, the Supreme Brahman, who's forever, eternally, in the ultimate abode of love, Shigoloka. is reciprocating devotion and love with his own devotees. In Vrindavan Krishna, he forgets his own supremacy and acts like an ordinary boy just to fulfill the desires of his devotees. Vrindavan is the land of the purest, sweetest, most intimate love, which is the source of all love. Just as Krishna is the source of all incarnations, the source of the impersonal Brahman, the source of all the spiritual and all the material worlds, so the love of Sri Radha, the love of Vrindavan, is the source of all love. In Vrindavan, Krishna becomes subordinate to the love of his devotees, and the devotees become subordinate to the love of Krishna. In Vrindavan, the Supreme Controller, the Parameshwara, is controlled by the love of his devotees. Both the servants and the served agree to dominate each other. The greatness of Vrindavan Lord Brahma, he performed tapasya and the four hills of Bharasana are the four heads of Brahma. He wanted the dust of the lotus feet of Sri Radharani, Sri Krishna and the devotees to forever be on top of his heads. The great Mahadev, Mahadev Shiva, 
He dances at the time of the destruction of the universes. Krishna's Natabara, Vrindava Natabara. He's the best dancer in Vrindava. And Lord Shiva's Nataraj. He has a very kingly dance. When he dances, everyone's afraid. When Krishna dances, everyone is charmed. But that great Mahadev, the king of all the demigods, the lords of the universes, he got the blessings of the gopis because he wanted to participate in Krishna's pastimes. And with the blessings of gopis, he went to Mansarovar, a lake that was filled with the tears of Radharani's separation from Krishna. And there with a prayer to be a loving servant of the servant of the servant of the gopis in Vrindavan, Lord Shiva entered the lake and he emerged as a gopi. Gopeshwar Mahadev. And not far from here is where he is, the guardian of the Raslila, guardian of the Holy Dham. The great Brahma wants to be a shrub or a dust in Vrindavan. The great Shiva takes the form of a gopi in Vrindavan. And Uddhava. Uddhava in Dwarka, in Mathura, was Krishna's dearmost friend and devotee. He was a disciple of Brihaspati. How learned he was! And he was so close to Krishna that Krishna sent him from Mathura to Vrindavan to deliver a message to the Brijabhasis. And here, the most confidential, elevated of all the associates of Lord Sri Krishna in Dwarka and Mathura, when he saw the love and separation of the Brijabhasis, especially those of the gopis, and ultimately that of Sri Radha, his conclusion is that he had no love at all in comparison. He thought he loved Krishna, but in their presence, he just wanted to serve them. He prayed. He prayed, let me just be some grass or a little shrub in the ground of Vrindavan so that Sri Radharani or Krishna or the calves or the cows or the gopas or the gopis, that the dust of their feet may come on my head. Uddhava had such culture 
he understood if he took the dust of the feet of gopis on his head, they would be very embarrassed because he's a grand prince and they're simple village people. So rather than cause them any embarrassment, let me take a birth and for all of eternity be a little piece of grass in Vrindavan so that I could serve them by receiving the dust on, their, on my head of their lotus feet. Such a mood of being servant of the servant of the servant. That was his meditation. So this is some little understanding of the glories of Brindaban. And I am saying His Holiness Jayadvaita Swami Maharaj. Holiness Jananda Maharaj. Holiness Chandramali Swami Maharaj. Grace Yadubar Prabhu. Grace Vyaski Prabhu. Grace Samikrishi Prabhu. Her Grace Malati Devi and Her Grace Mandakini. Her Grace Nartaki Devi. So many exalted personalities. In the Brihad Bhagavatamrita, Gopa Kumar is a simple village cowherd boy from the area of Govardhan. And he's seeking the highest connection to, to, to Krishna. He's seeking the highest happiness, like all of us are. And wonderful narration, how he's so innocent, so pure, so appreciative of everyone that by the mercy of his guru and his ten-syllable mantra, he's traveling around the world and he's going to Swargaloka and Maharloka and Janaloka and Tapaloka and Satyaloka. And he's learning so many things, but he's always wanting something more sweet, something more intimate. And he goes into the all-pervading Brahman, the liberated state. But like everyone, he's seeking Krishna. And he goes to Vaikuntha. And then he goes 
to the more intimate realm of Vaikuntha, Ayodhya, of Ram's Leela. And then he goes to Dwarka, in the spiritual world beyond the material existence. And there in Dwarka, he's just a little cowherd boy. And he's brought to see Krishna in Krishna's magnificent palace. And Krishna sees him and tells Uddhava, bring him. And Uddhava brings little Gopakumar to Dwarkadish, who's sitting on a magnificent throne, way beyond Vaikuntha, way beyond Indra, way beyond anything in existence. And Uddhava takes Gopakumar's head and pushes it against Krishna's lotus feet. And Krishna sees a little flute. And in Dwarka, Krishna doesn't play flute. But when he saw Gopakumar's flute, Krishna grabbed his flute. And Rukmini, Satyabhama, Satya, all these Jambavati, are all the queens are watching, and Devaki and Basudeva are there. Rohini. And when Krishna's holding this little flute, Krishna's crying. Crying, remembering his Brindavan Leela. Crying, holding a little flute again that came from Govardhan. In this Govardhan way down in, in the Bhoma Brindavan. And Gopakumar looks up, and he's not seeing Dwarkadish. He's seeing Shamsundar. Everyone else is seeing Krishna as a king, majestically sitting, or a prince of Dwarka sitting on his throne. And Gopakumar, Krishna's revealing himself according to Gopakumar's love. He's seeing Krishna as a cowherd boy with a peacock feather holding his flute. And he sing all the queens as gopis. And he sing Vasudeva and, and Devaki as Nanda and Yashoda. He sing Brindavan everywhere. And then Krishna returns to his inner chambers, only with very intimate associates. And he has Uddhava bring Gopakumar. And there Krishna sits on the floor, and they're all eating prasad together. And it is there that Uddhava, he understood Gopakumar because he had been to Vrindavan. He understood the love of the Brijabhasis. He understood the spirit of the cowherd boys and cowherd girls and the supreme love they possessed. And it was Uddhava and Narada Muni in their beautiful dialogue with Gopakumar revealed that you will never be happy truly happy anywhere except 
in Brindaban. And therein there's a wonderful description that Goloka Vrindavan is in this spiritual world, the highest realm of all the Vaikuntas. All incarnations of Krishna are expansion. All incarnations of God are expansions of Krishna. And when Krishna enters into this world, all the incarnations manifest from within him. Therefore, Krishna's Swayam Bhagavan. His opulences are full and complete with sweetness, with love. And how that Goloka Vrindavan manifests within this world as Gokula Vrindavan. And how there is absolutely no difference. And Gopa Kumar's ultimate realization was where I was from at Govardhan, in this Gokul Vrindavan and Goloka Vrindavan. They're the same. When the Brijabhasis, and I'll end with this because I think it's getting late. When the Brijabhasis heard from Nanda Maharaj, of how Varuna was worshiping Krishna in his abode under the sea. And the great opulences and majesty of Varuna's abode. And how Varuna put Krishna on his own throne. Nanda Maharaj was just incredibly amazed. Because no matter what Krishna would do, Krishna's still an ordinary child that he loves. He's my child. And the Brijabhasis heard this. And they were thinking in their hearts, will we, will the Lord, will, will we see the spiritual world? Where will, what will we achieve after this lifetime? And Krishna brought them to the Akruragat. And there, he revealed the Brahmarada, the all-pervading light of Brahman. And from there, he revealed Goloka Vrindavan in the spiritual world. And there they saw Krishna, the same Krishna. In fact, they saw everything was the same. And they realized we're already living in, this, in the highest realm of the spiritual world. We're already living in the ultimate destination. But they were happier here because they could intimately play with Krishna in a very personal way. So this is Vrindavan. As it has been revealed, by the greatest of the Acharyas, by the greatest of the Vaishnavas, by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And it is this Vrindavan 
that Śrīla Prabhupāda resided. It is this Vrindavan that Śrīla Prabhupāda carried within his heart to establish the spirit of Vrindavan in so many thousands, millions of hearts all over the world. And by Śrīla Prabhupāda's grace, we all have the opportunity to come here. Our eagerness to hear, our eagerness to chant, our eagerness to serve, the eagerness of our prayers for pure devotional service, is what will determine how we actually please Krishna to reveal Vrindavan through our hearts. So please, during this yatra, let us very enthusiastically go to these holy places and come for Harikata and dance and sing for Kirtan and most of all be grateful to serve one another. And it was Srila Prabhupada's wish that people would come to holy places like Vrindavan and Mayapur, and he, were, he, he established these temples so we could come to become spiritually surcharged and follow in his footsteps. to bring the spirit of Vrindavan wherever we may reside. I am very um, I don't know what to say. Vrindavan is infinitely beyond any understandings I could have. And there are so many great personalities here. Our acharyas from Vrindavan have expounded its glories throughout the world. And as a very insignificant servant of servant of servant of Srila Prabhupada, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm trying to fulfill your wish by speaking something about the glories of Vrindavan. Please forgive me for my audacity to even try to explain, but if you are pleased with my insignificant efforts, I will be very grateful. Thank you very much.